0: You are listening to a no-show radio production. Mind your ears while we unpack the unusual. Over the course of our time between the demon's den, heading back to the elsewhere, and on to the address the goat gave us, my suspicions about Ian's emotional state seemed harder and harder to push away. I knew I was taking a risk. I wasn't sure until we were on our drive out of the elsewhere how big a risk that was. I get these feelings sometimes. Usually, an itch at the back of my hand when something's amiss, a burning behind my ear, or that hollow feeling in the center of your chest. I typically walk around the block to clear my head, and it all comes into focus. The cloud of whatever my hunch is becomes clearer as I pull pieces of it together in my brain. And, I guess the best way to put it, is like the reverse of an Etch-A-Sketch wipe. You know, like when you shake it and the picture goes away. Except for me, the gray shakes into a clear picture of something. Not with Ian, though. I think I lost count of how many times I circled the building, trying to figure him out. Of course, the fog cleared out, but the remainder was... inconclusive. Most of what I could shake out was a certain duality, and it was monstrous. Time was too short to be worried about that, though. No one's clean down here. It's typically just a matter of how well you can cover it up. The address that the goat gave us was to what they said was a club's safe house. That was all they could get us, though, without breach of other contracts. The caveat to us getting this info, though, is that the clubs knew we were coming. I could handle myself with a few club bruisers hanging around, but there was a variable I couldn't account for. My gut was telling me that we would be able to get some face time with whomever was supplying the district with the blight, but there was something more. Before I could get any clearer an idea what that was, though, we had arrived at the apartment building. It was a nice place, high up in one of the mid-tier housing pillars. Those buildings always reminded me of giant redwoods. They reached up from the street like giant arms holding up the roof windows dotting the faces like the eyes of a peacock's plumage. A true monument to how far the citizenry has come. We stepped in and made it up to the counter to check in. Ever since the street brawls ramped up between the Batons and the Corazons, these places have been in a high-alert, bordering militaristic security setup. Guards with automatic rifles, metal detectors, cameras, the whole shebang. Once we're past the first floor, though, the theatrics are dropped and it's like any other metro dwelling. The elevator shot up and my stomach sank, though I'm not entirely convinced that it was the physics working against me making that happen. When we got off on the 63rd floor, there was an eerie quiet about the place. The clerk downstairs told us it'd be a corner unit to the east that overlooked most of the downtown C-block and a good stretch of heart territory. Back in the day, these were the only places us poor schmucks could live in. Kind of a rush job before any other infrastructure was really put in place by the commie or the citizenry. It was like a sardine can, but it was home. Whomever ran these places may not have had the beans to make it state-of-the-art, but at least someone thought it was a good idea to keep up certain modern amenities. The linoleum floors and wood-paneled walls were almost clinically sterile, though it seemed some time since anyone cleaned the inside of the electric sconces that poorly lit the joint. We made it to the door, and I gave it a firm knock, silence. I reached up to knock again, but the particle board door opened a crack, still latched on a chain to reveal the face of a young girl, maybe nineteen to twenty years old, with a black graphic tee reading fresh in bold white across a red design back, jeans that were so ripped they could hardly be considered clothes anymore, and a red plaid flannel tied round her waist. Her eyes were wide, and her face was not quite like a china doll but it was getting there. She didn't say anything, but she did unlatch the door and reopen it for us. Getting a better look inside, we didn't see anyone here, so I told Ian to wait outside, and he considered protesting momentarily, but then nodded in agreement. The inside was well furnished, though the couches were a few decades old, and more than a few light bulbs needed replacing. She walked over to a desk by the window that was littered in flasks, stands, a Bunsen burner, and an oversized cooling rack. You only work out of here? I need supplies sometimes. I'll let you know where you can get most of it, but for the other bits, I need to go on my own. I'll say this now, too. I got by without the others knowing hundreds of times, so don't think I won't bounce on you if you try to pull that meathead intimidation shit with me. They were hella pissed, but that never stopped me before. "'All right, all right. I don't want us to get off on the wrong foot. "'The numbers didn't exactly tell me your name. "'I'm bi extended my hand to shake hers in my best attempt at a show of goodwill, "'though she just stared at me blankly. "'She stopped working and went to a small bar set-up. "'She opened what was an empty ice bucket, "'retrieved a pack of cigarettes, lit one, "'and took a long draw before saying anything.' I could practically hear the sound of the blood returning to her face, and her shoulders dropped a bit. Name's Audrey. What's up? Thank you for joining us. Again, You can catch us on Twitter at The Fog Pod, or you can go to our website at NoshowRadio.com. This episode was written, directed, and edited by me, Kyle. You can find me on Twitter at Lord Kyle K. The part of B Remington was played by Falcon Heavy. What's up everybody? This has been Falcon Heavy. You can reach out to me on Instagram and Twitter at hellofalcon. Till next time, catch you later. This has been a No Show Radio production.